Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. So you might be wondering, why are we singing I Heard the Bells on Christmas when it's New Year's Eve? Good question. It's a bittersweet hymn that isn't sung as often as it used to be. But for imagine that a moment, for a moment, that it's Christmas Day. It's been two years since you've lost the love of your life in a freak accident, a fire that also left you with burn scars. One of your children, against your wishes, has enlisted in the army and now has been shot in what at first was thought to be a fatal injury. He survived, although partially paralyzed. You're widowed and supporting this child and four others. But you've always been inspired by the holiday message of peace and goodwill. But this year, any sense of peace, personal or in our hurting world, eludes you. Despair overtakes you, and you might say as we sung, there is no peace on earth, for hate is strong and mocks our songs of peace on earth. I could be speaking about 2023, but it's Christmas Day in 1863 when poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote the poem Christmas Bells, and later it became the hymn. Longfellow was a Unitarian who lived near Harvard Square, and I have wondered if the bells he heard in the midst of his despair and grief were from First Parish in Cambridge. The love of his life, his wife Fanny Appleton, had died two years earlier when her dress had caught on fire. He had tried to save her and wore a long beard for the rest of his life to cover his own scars. The Civil War was tearing the country and families apart. And his son Charlie first had typhoid fever and then returning to the battlefield was shot. Yet that day, as he heard the bells on Christmas, his Unitarian faith was a comfort to him. And he found hope in his belief that God was not dead, that wrong would fail, and right would prevail. He found within himself renewed hope in peace and goodwill. We live in times of despair, war, disease, climate change, shootings, I could go on, but I'm sure I don't need to. We're all too acquainted with all of these concerns and we have our own grief and personal losses. We too need renewed hope and peace and goodwill. It's easy to feel helpless, to feel paralyzed, to even feel numb in response 
to the ongoing violence in our world. After the one of the shootings, I did a little research to try to better understand why these senseless events happen. I was dismayed to learn that many well-respected experts have determined that most violence is caused by personal disputes, not by politics or ideology. Many of the most egregious acts of violence that we hear about actually started as disputes between family members or friends. I found this to be pretty shocking. But I also realized that it meant we might have some influence on preventing some of the senseless violence around us. While most of us don't have the skills or resources to have a major impact on world peace or on random acts of public violence, we certainly do have the ability, perhaps more than we realize, to influence peace in our own relationships, our own families, our friendships, and our own communities. Perhaps we might even help reverse this trend of senseless violence. Thich Nhat Hanh, or Thai as he was called by his students, passed on January 2022 after a lifetime devoted to creating peace. We lost one of the great peacemakers of our time. I've been rereading his book on anger. The subtitle is Wisdom for Cooling the Flames. I recommend it to you. I recommend any of his writing to you. He suggests in the face of anger, the anger that naturally arises in our relationship, that a peace treaty be created, even put in writing between partners or parents and children, between friends, any of our closest, dearest relationships that need to be repaired. He describes such a peace treaty as a treaty of true love and encourages us to develop our own peace strategy. Our peace strategy might involve arranging for our own personal peace talks when we find a close relationship is suffering. He even provides language for us to use when we are struggling with restoring peace. He suggests saying, Darling, I love you. I am angry and I am suffering. I'm doing my best. I'm trying not to blame anyone else, including you. I need your help to get out of this anger, this suffering. Please help me. If you're already thinking it's no use, my partner, my parent, my child, my friend, my coworker, they will never change, that would never work. Consider this. We say as Unitarian Universalists in our principles and purposes that we affirm and promote the worth and dignity of every person. 
or as the children's version says, we believe every person is important. This belief is one of the main reasons I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister. But how many of us, myself included, can honestly say we honor the worth and dignity of every person? Every person, really? In my experience, it's sure easier to honor the worth and dignity of the people we like, who we respect, and who treat us well. So how do we honor the worth and dignity of the people who drive us crazy without losing track of our own worth and dignity? How do we honor even our enemies? Yes, we all have enemies if we're honest about it, or you might prefer to say difficult people in our lives. I find that when the Dalai Lama, spiritual leader of Tibetan Buddhism teaches, he powerfully reframes our common experiences and helps me translate our UU principles into practical action. For example, consider this approach to problematic people in your life, or maybe even in the congregation. The Dalai Lama says, if you can cultivate the right attitude, your enemies are your best spiritual teachers because their presence provides you with the opportunity to enhance and develop your capacity for compassion. He continues saying that for the practice of your own spiritual path, the presence of the enemy is crucial and that to practice tolerance, the enemy is indispensable. But merely thinking about compassion and reason and patience will not be enough to develop those qualities. We must wait for difficulties to arise and then we practice compassion and patience and tolerance. I can personally attest to the transformative nature of working at this practice. I have found myself becoming truly grateful for certain enemies in my life, and this transformed me and somehow healed the relationships. In a prior career, I worked for someone who I found it very difficult to be around. I was often in lengthy meetings with him, and I would work at the practice of trying to be grateful for him. And trying to be more compassionate, I would breathe and imagine that like all of us, he just wanted to be happy and healthy. I would also imagine, since I didn't know any details, that like all of us, he had suffered in his life. And I would consider, as Reverend Richard Gilbert writes, that we are all more human than otherwise and that strength and weakness, arrogance and humility, confidence and fear live together in each one of us, reminding us that we all share a common humanity. In my practice, I would work on increasing goodwill by wishing my coworker well. I would silently offer loving kindness phrases, such as may you be happy, 
May you be healthy. May you be free of inner and outer harm. I'll be honest, at first, this practice was extremely difficult. It did get easier, and since we were together a lot, I had almost daily opportunities to practice. Eventually, I sensed a change, and our relationship really improved. I imagine that what changed was me. I suspect that as I became more open-hearted, he may have sensed that at some level and responded. I encourage you as the new year unfolds to try to appreciate the family members, the coworkers, the neighbors who are presenting you with the opportunity to be more compassionate. You might be surprised at the result. If prayer is part of your spiritual practice, you might even offer prayers of gratitude for them. Thich Nhat Hanh says, it is wrong to think that if the other person does not change or improve, then nothing can improve. There are always ways to create more peace, joy, and harmony, and we all have access to them. The way you walk, the way you smile, the way you breathe, all of this is important. He reminds us that we must begin with our own sense of peace. At a retreat many years ago, I heard him say that suffering works the same way that garbage makes compost. Pain, fear, sorrow, anger, and despair are the garbage of life. The seeds of compassion in us can use this garbage to transform suffering into compassion and love. Compassion relieves suffering. It's the antidote for anger and violence and helps us create peace. Maybe as the new year begins, or as spring arrives again and the world renews itself before our eyes, you might take steps to renew your own sense of inner peace. You know what you've been thinking of doing for your own well-being. If not now, when? And perhaps we might find ways to be catalysts for the repair of other people's relationships. In my work as a chaplain, one of the regrets I hear all the time as people approach the end of their lives or when a death arrives unexpectedly is the regret that they didn't repair or reconcile a relationship. Again, why wait? Almost every day, a patient or family member says to me, I thought we had more time. So this is my annual reminder that life is short and unpredictable. Perhaps there is someone you might call or write to, someone to reconnect with while there is still time, to create peace between you and to have the peace of no regrets later. For example, once upon a time, two sisters lived side by side. They both owned farms. One grew the sweetest grapes 
and the other grew the best vegetables. A small creek separated their farms. For decades, the sisters were as close as could be. Folks in town said, if you saw one sister, you knew the other one was nearby. They shared meals, tools, stories. Their children played and life was peaceful. Then one day they had a disagreement. It wasn't about much, but they couldn't resolve it. Slowly, the disagreement became an argument and bitterness set into each other's hearts and they stopped communicating entirely. One day, one of the sisters answered a knock at the door to find a carpenter who said, hello, ma'am, I'm looking for work. Do you have anything that needs building? She said, I do, and she pointed to her sister's farm. We were best friends, but she's become unreasonable and I can no longer stand the sight of her. I would like you to build a tall fence between our properties so I don't have to look at her. The carpenter said, okay, I know exactly what to do. The sister decided to spend the day shopping so she would not be in his way and he got to work. When she returned, she was shocked to find that the carpenter had not built a fence as instructed, but instead constructed a beautiful bridge across the creek. It was sturdy and wide. Before she had time to object, her sister came out of her house and saw the bridge. Her sister approached saying, I've been so foolish. How could I have forgotten that you are the most loving person in the world? I'm so lucky you're my sister. She started across the bridge. Her sister rushed to meet her in the middle. They apologized and hugged. They turned to the carpenter, who had known exactly what to do, and they wanted to do something nice for him. They offered him other jobs around the farm. He said, thanks, but I'll be moving on. I have other fences to build. I am grateful that our Unitarian Universalist tradition keeps me focused on the inherent worth and dignity of every person every day and provides me with the wisdom of many different traditions to draw upon for guidance in my own life. Our hurting world needs less anger and more peace. If we each healed just one relationship who knows what might happen? To conclude, in addition to our own peace talks and peace treaties with those we love, in addition to our work on our own inner peace, may we all watch for opportunities to build bridges instead of fences wherever reconciliation is needed. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. These are the words of Andrew Pakala. As you prepare to leave this sacred space, 
Pack away a piece of this church in your heart. Wrap it carefully like a precious gem. Carry it with you through the joys and sorrows of your days. Let its gentle glow strengthen you, warm you, and remind you of all that is good and true until we gather here again in this place of love. Amen. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.